Hey guys, welcome back to Ravens Recap. We are excited today. We're going to talk about underrated Ravens. So we asked you guys about underrated Ravens, and we have a lot of players listed here, some of which I'd be surprised. If you know all these players, I mean, you might be Peter, or <laughs> or you are you're as big of a Raven fan as they get, because some of these players get pretty obscure. Hey man, they all had a contribution to uh, some good Ravens teams. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we'll talk about is how these players stepped up in very pivotal times for the Ravens. To start things off, though, we're going to start with, a, I think, a big name. I thought it was interesting when I read the commentary here that this guy was in the 10th the name maybe mentioned. But I thought, I, I was like, he's like one of the first. Interesting. But when you look at the 2000 Baltimore Ravens defense, I think that it, that entire starting lineup was so stacked that some of the, of the players on that roster can feel a bit underappreciated just because you compare them to like the Ray Lewis and the Rod Woodson's and the Michael McCrary's on there. And they just kind of get lost in the shuffle of all that greatness that was there. When the Ravens defense is brought up and the players are usually talked about, from my experience, I feel that Jamie Sharper is not, you don't usually hear his name mentioned as often as you hear some of the other guys on the team. And maybe you guys think there might be a more deserving name as the most underrated player on that defense. But Sharper was definitely a key contributor to that team. I remember in the AFC Championship game, I believe it was him who had that uh, clinching interception that basically sealed the victory for the Ravens in the Super Bowl 35 berth. Very talented player, had over 100 tackles and six sacks in 2001. But I just don't feel like his name is mentioned as much as some of the other players on that defense. I don't know. You guys might disagree. So he was the original number 55. You know what I'm saying? That's, I think, why he had 55. He was an excellent outside linebacker. And then you had Terrell Suggs take that number and take it to a whole other level. I I don't know. For me, he was always a guy that was incredibly uh, prolific. Right, and I think just to be clear, so from the from the list that we had here, we kind of tried to organize some of the players in, in terms of different levels of, of how much they are underrated. So the the guys that we're going to be talking about, including Jamie Sharper, are kind of the guys we think that are probably more Ravens fans probably know who they are, but they're a little bit underrated from like a national perspective. To go take it back to Jamie Sharper, though, when I think back to the highlights from the Super Bowl year in two thousand. I got to say, like, actually, Jamie Sharper, for me, really stands out. The play that you mentioned, Peter, I, I remember that pretty vividly. I remember, if you look at some of the highlights just from Ray Lewis on the Super Bowl, I think there was that one play where Ray tips a pass in the air. I think Sharper comes down with it, I think, has the pick in the Super Bowl. You're correct about that. Yeah, that was Sharper. Right. Yeah, so as far as the stats, maybe those don't jump off the page as much, but at least to me... For some of the games that you know, I remember, and that was a long time ago, even f- even for me, like I was pretty young when we won the first Super Bowl. But even then, the, those highlight plays like still stick out to me. So I I gotta give some love for for Jamie. He's a really really great player. So what I'm surprised about is it seems like he had 164 combinational tackles. Now this was with Houston in 2003, which is the highest in the league. <laughs> That's crazy. Man was tackling fiend. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like I was talking about on the Ravens defense with so many other playmakers, sometimes a guy like that gets lost in the shuffle. But I'm sure remembering back to how Houston played that year, I don't think their defense had anywhere quite as many star defenders as uh, those Ravens defenses did. <laughs> no offense to Houston. I thought Kim Herring was the the guy I almost always forget. That that was my Mr. Anonymous of uh, the 2000 defense. I will agree with that. I think if you ask anyone to, I think I did put that on the notes. If you ask mm-hmm. anyone to name the 11 starters of that defense, Kim Herring has to be the last guy you mention in that list. And I don't know if I'd actually call him underrated, unless you just want to call him underrated because he was a member of that team that no one remembers. From my recollection, Kim Herring was just a solid player. Like, you put Mm -hmm. him on any other defense, I don't know if he's even one of the best players on that team. But, I mean, he had a few picks the Super Bowl year, but 
I think every other one of the players on that roster was at least above average at their position, if not Pro Bowl worthy. So to get back to Mr. Uh, Jamie Sharper, his first name is actually Harry. Fun fact. There you go. See, that's why he's so underrated. Ravens, he's so underrated under the Ravens fan base. No one knew his real name. <laughs> <laughs> he was also the 34th pick of the 1997 draft, picked in round two by the Ravens. I, I'm, I'm also kind of shocked that he only had two career interceptions, like one of which was so prolific. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, regular season. Looks like he had one in 97, one in 2000. So in the entire 2000 postseason he he had as many interceptions as he would have the rest of his career. <laughs> wow. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. The next guy on our list, he might be the number one underrated player. But, you know, he, he got his payday, to be fair. He did, yeah. Completely coming out of obscurity, Adelius Thomas. Exactly. The guy who birthed this episode, if you guys remember, we were talking about the, if you guys were listening back in the defense podcast, as an aside, we talked about how Adelius Thomas is one of our all-time favorite underrated Ravens, and one of us, I forget who, was just like, that's a great idea for a podcast episode later, and here we are. But yeah, Adelius Thomas is another great find by Ozzie Newsom. I don't have it up right now. I think he was a six-round pick in 2000. I think that's right. Yeah. This is a guy who really climbed the NFL ladder. I mean, he started out as a, a low pick in the draft was technically on the Super Bowl roster but only played was only active for 3 games I'm seeing here on Pro Football Reference and his first couple seasons playing full time for the Ravens he was mainly a special teams player but he worked his way up to being a starting outside linebacker and starting in 2002 just every season, he increased his sack total from three to four to eight, nine, till finally 11 in 2006 when he made the Pro Bowl as part of that number one ranked NFL defense that year. He actually did make the Pro Bowl in 2003 as well, but that was as the, the special teams player. Hmm. And then after 2006, like Alex said, he got that big payday with New England where, unfortunately, him and Bill Belichick would butt heads nationally and his career would spiral out of control after that but while he was at the Ravens I mean the guy was excellent yeah I just think it's really cool you know to see the careers of those types of players you know come in low round pick you know maybe undrafted kind of start their way from the bottom but slowly you know improve improve and get better get better and really kind of really make a contribution it's just you know it's it's super cool to see um, you know, not not every pick out there, not everybody who's in the NFL is going to be a first round pick who's going to be hyped up, uh, you know, by the media when they come out of college and, you know, when they start in the NFL, like, oh, you know, they're first round pick. They have to be like super good. You know, most of the players in the NFL aren't like that. And especially when you have guys like Adelius Thomas come in and work their way up from the bottom. It's just it's super cool to see to me. And as we've discussed before, man, the Ravens under Ozzie Newsome really great at finding those late round gems. Another guy who the Ravens found late round, who's maybe a guy who's not always as remembered as other players, was Mike Flynn. He was, I believe, actually an undrafted. Yeah, looks like he was undrafted. Yeah, so Mike Flynn, another guy who had to work his way up, just like Adalius Thomas, and worked his way to being the full-time starter at both center and and splitting time between center and right guard for the Super Bowl 35 champion Ravens. And he would be a rock of consistency for the Ravens from 2000 through 2007, starting at least 15 games in all but one of those years when uh, he had to, it's a little bit of nagging injuries. But I know when we talk about the Ravens offensive line, you know, that blocked for those years with where Jamal Lewis was running all over the league. Um, Jonathan Ogden is the name that's always brought up, but but Mike Flynn was very steady rock on that those offensive lines. This guy, what a rocky start to the NFL career. Undrafted, signed by the Ravens, released. Picked up by the Buccaneers and the Jaguars, released. Baltimore repicks him up, but he doesn't make actually start a game until 1998. 
but it was then in 2000 when he was starting on the Super Bowl team as the right guard. Uh, I think he really made his presence known. Yeah, and I mean, that just adds to just the overall uh, work ethic of that guy. I mean, and have been cut that many times and to still think that you have a shot in the NFL, that's uh, that's a lot of mental resolve right there that definitely paid off for him. Mike's nickname is Scooter because he enjoys good food, sausage, and all things Swiss. He also was a radio personality in the Boston area after his career. Hold on a second. What's he a radio personality in Boston for? <laughs> Johnston and Flynn, the 98.5 Sports Hub. All right. He also would join in on the Toucher and Rick show. We'd better be bad-mouthing the Patriots up there. <laughs> well, they did cut him uh, before the season in 2008. All right. There we go. Interesting, interesting. Man, where are you finding all these fun facts, Alec? Wikipedia, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick, Michael Patrick, uh, quote-unquote, Scooter Flynn, born June 15, 1974, in Dolestown, Pennsylvania. Not to be confused with Mike Flynn, the footballer, or Mike Flynn, the politician. Apparently, Mike Flynn is a very common name. (laughs) Mike Flynn, the editor. Mike Flynn of the EPA. (laughs) 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 all right guys i'm not gonna talk about this guy coming up because i'm surprised he's rated underrated i kind of get it i kind of get it but uh i think he's starting to get his due he is the reason i put this guy all right which might come as a surprise to our loyal listeners of the podcast and we thank you for that uh is jimmy smith (laughs) because you know we've we've taken a couple shots at this guy in some past episodes but I mean, part of that, I think, is is because outside of quarterback, I think in today's NFL, the position that gets the most scrutiny on a roster is the your number one cornerback, just because of how pass-happy of a league it is right now. And, you know, Jimmy Smith, he hasn't been perfect for the Ravens, but there's been several seasons where he's been as much of a shutdown corner as you can ask a guy to be in today's NFL the reason I think he's underrated is just because the guy hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet. And I feel like, you know, despite the fact that his best seasons, he has ultimately gotten injured before the whole thing was over. I think he's been due to be selected to at least one by this point in his career. Yeah, I guess it is a little surprising. Definitely a lot of good corners in the league. You know, I'm sure a handful of them off off top of my head. I'd have to look back at each year to see who who got in over him. But, you know, it's, you know, there are only so many spots. I believe the Pro Bowl doesn't, we don't have nickel corners in the Pro Bowl, right? There's only two position groups and then seconds and everything, right? So, you know, even though the league is going toward more three starters and the nickel, you know, base nickel defense, Pro Bowl isn't necessarily like that. But uh, yeah, I, I was going to just reemphasize on the injury front. I, I think a lot of Ravens fans are really disappointed by that. I think he's played a full season once or twice in his, you know, eight, nine year career here. So, I mean, that is kind of a big knock, but I mean, you can't, you, you got to look at those years, 2014, 2016, 2017, you know, a couple others, you know, Jimmy was definitely playing some really great football. The impact that Jimmy Smith makes when he's on the field is very notable. I do recall that when he got hurt, the defense was not the same. And when he came back, you saw that uptick. He's just one of those players that the whole defense improves when he's in the game. Just because he takes pressure off, you know that he can shut down anybody. Yeah, I think that was most notable, if you wanted to look at a specific game to prove that point, was I believe it was the 2016 season. Uh, that game in, in New York against the Giants where oh, Jimmy Smith yeah. had OBJ just shut down for the first half. And then he tweaked. It might have been his ankle. I forget what, but he's out of the game. I think they had to put like Will Davis or someone to shadow <laughs> Beckham. So, and yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, didn't Beckham get like finished with like something like 250 yards? Yeah. yeah at the end of that game, he only yeah. had like, like 30 before Smith left. It right. was insane. Right, night yeah. and day. 
yeah, that was man, that was such a disappointing game. The only the only highlight I remember from that game was uh, I think that was Tavon's uh, Tavon Young's first interception. I think, but I think that was probably against uh, Shepard, not OBJ, if I recall correctly. And we can't forget that Michael Crabtree was completely shut down, if not somewhat suspectly, by Jimmy Smith in the Super Bowl. That was such a great play because we were all so tense. It was the last down, and we got through it. <laughs> we, That's we got true, man. <laughs> Jimmy Smith stepped up. Not that his competition was that great with, uh, you know, I can't catch anything crap. <laughs> Trash tree, <hands>. but <laughs> <laughs> He was a little bit better back then. Before That's we got true, him. he was. No, I mean, you know, and not only shutting down players, too. I, you know, Jimmy's been a pretty solid, you know, all-around player. You know, he's, he's pretty good against the run. He's not going to get beat in any particular area of the game. I think probably the only exception was very early in his career, he would always get beat by those double moves. But after a couple of years, I can't really say he's had a lot of weaknesses aside from just, you know, the injuries. All right. Well, moving on to another guy is uh, we're staying on the defensive side of the ball, but we're moving up closer to the They're almost scrimmage. all defensive, man. <laughs> I mean... The we we know the we know the mo of the Ravens. <laughs> it's it's defense, man, yeah. and we're passionate about our defense. And, and their defenses have been deep, man. They have been deep, and this guy was an anchor for the years that he was in Baltimore. Absolutely an anchor. I think it was a great pick, an obvious one. I think for Ravens fans, but definitely on the national stage, not a guy you think of, Mister Kelly Gregg. Oh, what a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should bring up uh put in the show notes his uh his picture from like nfl.com like around like 2008 or something. <laughs> you just look look at his face. Just oh my god, just a freaking monster, man. Just a really stout, strong, big guy just clogging up holes in the middle. Doing that for quite some time. I re- I remember actually being pretty upset when uh when he wasn't coming back at the I think it was the end of or the beginning of the 2011 season, I think, was when we... Yeah, it was... Uh, I remember, yeah, that was uh, after the the mini lockout ended. That's when uh, a flurry of free agency began. I remember, yeah, it was Greg was cut along with uh, Heap, McGahee, and Mason. Mason, yeah, that was... What a group. <laughs> what a group of cuts. Jeez. Yeah. All key contributors, man. But yeah, uh, Kelly Gregg, so he was another guy like Mike Flynn who um, had a really rocky road to get to his his place in one of the best franchises ever if you're a defensive player. So originally drafted by Cincinnati Bengals, apparently, uh, in the sixth round of the 99 draft. He was a practice squad player his rookie year, and then he was signed to the Eagles at the end of the 99 season, but was waived in September of 2000, after which he was picked up by the Ravens, and he did get a Super Bowl ring despite not playing, and he had to spend some time in NFL Europe, but when the Goose and when the goose retired and Sam Adams was cut for salary cap reasons, Kelly Gregg was there, and he was ready to step up and be the anchor of some pretty good Ravens defenses. Yep, right next to Tony Saragusa as a nose tackle, and as Saragusa left the team, continuing that tradition of just stuffing, stuffing it. The guy has the broadest shoulders. I feel like he has the most impressive shoulders I've seen of any football <laughs> player. <laughs> Six foot, 320 pounds, Wichita, Kansas. I mean, the guy is just a unit. I also have to say, I think Kelly Gregg has one of the most underrated game faces. I mean, if you look at his photos, man, especially the one I'm looking at on Wikipedia right now, he's got his uh, eyebrows furrowed with his lips in, straight (laughs) face, man. (laughs) It's like the most humorous, badass look you can get. He knew the cameras were on him at all times. (laughs) He prepared for that. While he was also taking on, you know, two, three <laughs> linemen <laughs> in the hole trying to get to the running back. Yeah. He knew the cameras were on him. But yeah, I mean, this guy, maybe he's not underrated uh, among the Ravens fan base. I mean, I think this is a guy who who has been received a lot of love from Baltimore. 
But yeah, from the national perspective, I mean, how many people outside of, of Baltimore really know who Kelly Gregg was? I don't even know if uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans, you know, who he finished his career with, remember Kelly Gregg. Just right. not a guy who really made it into the national spotlight, but was a key member of the Ravens for his time here. Right. I think that might just be how our defense plays. This tradition goes back all the way, like you guys said, to to uh, to Goose, Sam Adams, Kelly Gregg, you know, and now Brandon Williams. Like those guys, like they're really good at what they do. It's not a flashy position. They don't really get that much stats. So outside of here, no one really knows who they are or thinks that they're, they're you know that great for that matter. But I'm sure if you asked the uh, the Ray Lewises and you know, Dallas Thomases and all those guys with all, you know, the tackles and all the stats, they will point to guys like Kelly Gregg as the guys who allowed that to happen. You know, you can't, you can't understate that. Absolutely. So now I'm switching gears to another player who Ravens fans love, but just because he played during the times of the Ray Lewis's and the Ed Reed's and the Haloti Nada's and the Terrell Suggs, and the Chris McAllister. I mean, this is why these guys don't get national recognition. It's just too many players to remember for one team. Right. If you're not a fan. <laughs> is uh, our guy Jarrett Johnson. Double J, I-95. Man, I love JJ. He's, he's <laughs> one of my favorite players. Um, I absolutely love him. If the only thing he ever did in his entire NFL career was just completely wreck Heinz Ward, He'd be a top 10 rating. (laughs) Oh, man. Fourth round pick, the 109 spot in 2003. The guy, I mean, he came onto the scene strong. Just, he was one of those mid-round picks, man, that just very quickly, I think, became a notable player. He has a, there's a picture on the Wikipedia of him crushing Ben Roethlisberger as Bart Scott comes from the other side. Just a total sandwich of destruction. And, you know, here's a fun fact. In 2010, he passed Peter Boulware as the most consecutive starts. That's pretty significant. Yeah, man. In the divisional round matchup against the Steelers. Yep. I mean, what a, what a guy. I remember him doing the radio shows on 98 Rock. Oh, yeah. He would always, uh, he'd frequent on that. And then he, uh, in post-retirement, was a color analyst for a little bit there. I mean, he was a, he's a staple. You know, maybe not Ring of Honor. But he's, I think he's close just because he was such a, a part of the community, too. It was more than just a player. He was definitely a face of the Ravens. Yeah, he was a guy that that just knew what it meant to be a Raven and just someone you could really tell just loved what he did and loved playing football, loved playing for the Ravens. And I think, you know, fans really, really uh, root for those guys because, you know, you can just see their passion. And, you know, Jarrett Johnson, he wasn't, he's not the most physically gifted player. But he just had a, a high motor and was just really high effort guy. And the results show, man. I think actually it was a little probably rough for him at the beginning, if I recall. I think he was, I think he played uh, defensive end, I think, his first year or two. So he was actually a little bit bigger. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, and, and then I think he switched outside linebacker. And that's where he, you know, stayed up until, you know, 2011. Yeah, it was in 2007 that he made that transition. Oh, okay. Which was also his kind of breakout year. Okay. Right. Yeah, in 2007, he started making the transition. In 2008, he had five sacks. That's when he started really racking up the sacks total. Right. But he was uh, one of those guys, like a rotational player um, for the first few years, now that I'm looking at it. Right. I guess he he seemed like he splashed onto the scene when I remember him, but maybe he was a more developmental prospect. Yeah, it seems that way. I I mean, I can remember... (laughs) where I'm dating myself, but I can remember, man, back in the day, the only reason I knew about... Jared Johnson was because uh, of Madden and doing those franchise mode and knowing all the players. And <laughs> then I remember, you know, when he started exploding onto the scene around the 2006, 2007, becoming a key contributor, I was like, oh man, Jared Johnson's still on the team. That guy uh, is, uh, you know, he's pretty good. <laughs> oh, wow. I hear you, Peter. I feel like Madden, I could name the third string defensive tackle on like any team. Um, I just like, has such a, a knowledge of all the players that that's maybe why he, uh, I thought he was such a contributor for a longer time. It's a good point. Yeah. I, th- that is such a crazy part of my college, I guess, like our culture or our, our age group. I, I played the crap out of Madden. 
it was ridiculous. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Madden 04, 04 through like 08, I think was just like I just wore out those games. 04 was the best, definitely. We may get to that if we have time. <laughs> Another quick aside before we get to the next player, who Alec is really excited to talk about. I love how uh, Pro Football Reference has Jared Johnson listed in 2004 as playing no position. And then in 2005, he's listed as defensive end slash <laughs> linebacker slash left defensive tackle, I guess, slash right inside linebacker. Wow. <laughs> oh, the, another fun fact. He actually started off as number 76 in his rookie season, and then he transitioned to the iconic 95. 95. That's a number a defensive player gets when you're not expected to make the team. <laughs> Can anybody think of a player, of like a really well-known player with 76? Not on the defensive. I mean, maybe an offensive lineman. It's usually an offensive lineman number. Yeah. Fun fact, if anybody knows a really good player with number 76, I can't even think of another Ravens player with 76, actually. I'd have to really think about that. Wasn't that uh, Tony Pashos' number? I think he was 79. Oh, man. You might. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think you're right. Yep, 79. Google's such uh, a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's talk about my guy, offensive lineman and himself. I can't believe, you know, it, it, it typically goes this way. I like to think of myself, you know, I, I edited the show and then I'm a little tired from it. But these guys just make this huge document, you know, for the, <laughs> the show notes. And I come stumbling in. Oh, and like everything's covered. You know, <laughs> they did a great job. But they missed one guy. And I was like, oh, this is my guy. This is my underrated Raven. Edwin Mulatalo, huge part. That left side of the line, him and J.O. created all the holes, 2,000 yards of holes for Jamal Lewis <laughs> all, all on the left-hand side. I mean, the guy was an amazing contributor. He started 14 games at least from 2000 to 2005, never got a Pro Bowl nod. Again, I think because of John Ogden's shadow, but he was, I think, a, a, a standout guard. A very solid guard. And maybe, you know, J.O. was helping him out, but I don't know. I think I think he was a great contributor. Those two were uh, biggest thieves. Yeah, I mean, Bulatala was a mauler, and I agree with you. I mean, yeah, he played next to Ogden all those years, but there's a reason that the, you know, the Ravens never let go of him, man, because uh, you knew that left side was solid with Ogden, Bulatala, and, uh, you know, Mike Flynn, as we talked about earlier. I mean, that was a very, I mean, gosh, especially when you think about how much turnover there is in the NFL with these, with free agency, you're looking at 2000 through 2006, seven season run where the Ravens were trotting out the same three guys, essentially on the left left side of the offensive line. That's stability. That's for sure. Yeah. Fun fact about this guy. He is now the head coach of South Virginia University. I didn't know that place existed, but it's true. Yeah, Chris, were you the one who found that? No, that was me. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, went, I went dumpster diving on all the facts about my boy, Edwin Wiltalo. Sorry, I, was so I, don't, know, I don't know him. if that's a compliment to Chris or a dig at Alec that I thought that was a Chris fact find. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you were the one asking me where I find all these fun facts. I went to his Wikipedia earlier. That's right. <laughs> Well, I was I was going to say fun fact. Actually, I was I was really debating about putting Molotalo on this list, but because Peter already put Mike Flynn on there, I didn't know whether I wanted to have two guards from like basically the same position on the list. God forbid we talk about the offense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, like They're I the only about, players we mentioned. Just like I talked about before the show, finding a niche. Who talks about the <laughs> offensive lineman? <laughs> oh man. Too good. Well, hey, let's let's transition to the next part of the show. These are underrated Ravens by the fan base. So these are going to be some of the deeper guys. I would say a couple of them, you probably definitely know the names. Actually, most of them, I think you probably know the names. There's one in here, though. I didn't, I didn't know who it was. I, I, I had no idea. I had to look it up. This is going to be a, a more interesting part of the podcast. We're, we're diving deep into some guys who are, I mean, the, the guys we talked about earlier are guys you can argue are star players. And 
maybe if they played for a franchise that gets more national recognition, like a New England or a Pittsburgh or a Dallas, maybe these guys make more Pro Bowls than they ended up with the Ravens. The guys we're moving to now are thinking about, like, you know, whenever people talk about, you know, next man up, guys who had to, who were very were key contributor role players when stars like Jamal Lewis or, in the case of this first guy that we're going to talk about, you know, Todd Heap got hurt and they, they got to step up and be the guy because uh, the Ravens offense is terrible. And someone like <laughs> Dan Wilcox, who I don't know how many of you are listening to this right now, just had to pause the podcast and Google who this guy is, was, <laughs> but Dan Wilcox not a star by any stretch of the imagination, but from 2004 to 2008, he served as the backup tight end for the Ravens. His stats are nothing to that is, looks pretty on the eye, but I think if you remember back to that time period, especially 2004, when just having someone on the offense who could <laughs> catch one of the rare passes from Kyle Bowler that was within a six-yard vicinity of you (laughs) was a desired offensive skill, Dan Wilcox felt that role. Okay, hold on. Well, I got to bring this up now. I know this is not related, but who was the more inaccurate passer? Kyle Bowler, who was supposed to be a quarterback that could throw the ball, right? (laughs) Like, that was his skill. I remember him kneeling down and... And, and launching it through the uprights from the 50-yard line. Or Lamar Jackson. You know, Lamar's getting so much hate for his throwing mechanics. I think Kyle Bowler was probably worse. I really do. I think Kyle Bowler was. Man, I also have to bring up on the podcast <laughs> that back in 2003, there was an ongoing debate between myself and Alec about uh, whether or not Kyle Bowler would be the future quarterback, future star of the Ravens. Hmm. I would like to remind Alec... <laughs> that Alec was the Kyle well, Bowler truther. Oh, I'll never forget. Yeah, I mean, I was. I'm always a truther. So the <laughs> the thing that cr- was crazy about Kyle Bowler, never forget that he had like three games in a row where he put it all together. He threw like 300 yards. He was like dialing it in, laser beams to all the wide receivers. And, and then like, they oh played my God, New England. Did he figure it out? Did he figure it out? Is he a savant now at the quarterback position? No. <laughs> no, he was not. Even the quarterback whisperer, Brian Billick. It was Jim Fossil. Oh, Jim Fossil was the was the quarterback's coach, though. Yeah, Jim Fossil, Brian Billick, quarterback, offensive masterminds. They couldn't do anything with this guy. <laughs> he was a disaster. Changed his number, thought that would help. It did not. Anyways, back to the podcast topic of underrated Ravens. Uh, Ravens draft bus <laughs> can be a different podcast later. <laughs> I just got to say, Peter, I thought your... Uh, you're int- you're- <laughs> Before this whole thing on Kyle Bowler, before that whole thing, that whole line you had on there about Dan Wilcox, about being able to catch passes from Kyle Bowler, <laughs> that whole clip right there was probably like one of my top five favorite things to listen to on a podcast. <laughs> it was just yeah. perfect. Hey, man. Well, well, so, well so, so the reason I bring that up is because I remember back in the day, I remember Dan Wilcox as like the savior of the 2004 Ravens offense when Todd Heap went down. And then I'm doing my research for the podcast and I look back at his stats for like probably like the first time since 2004 <laughs> and I see like the man only had like 25-ish catches and two touchdowns that year and I'm just like you know what? Savior. <laughs> In that passing offense where Kyle Bowler took every snap from the quarterback position and only threw for 2500 yards that year? That's actually a pretty darn good year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was the 12th of the offensive production, and he was a tight end that only started five games. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, the Ravens kept him around. He was a solid number two tight end. I mean, he did pretty well in McNair. McNair's one good three quarters of a season with the Ravens. And fun fact, he... Uh, he was uh, the recipient of Joe Flacco's first NFL touchdown pass. There you go. Very cool. Another guy we wanted to talk about comes from the running back position. A little bit more offensive players on this side of the of the fence, but he was the guy who came in. He had a helper, I believe, if I remember properly, in the 2002 season 
when Jamal Lewis, I was there, I saw it with my own two eyes, fell down, tore his ACL during uh, training camp. Absolutely devastating injury right after the, the Super Bowl run to have that kind of injury. Elvis Gerback was not was not pleased. <laughs> and he came in. Alec was, was also an to... Elvis Gerback truther. <laughs> Elvis Gerback truther? <laughs> I don't know about Please. all that. <laughs> hey, man. I got a good memory. Dude, I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to walk away from this show. I, I've been slandered. <laughs> All right, Chris, looks like it's down to me and you to uh, be the, <laughs> finish up the entire history of the podcast. Yeah, there we go. Um, anyway, so the player we're going to talk about here is uh, Chester Taylor, uh, backup running back for the Ravens from 2002 through 2005. Similar to Dan Wilcox, uh, the reason why he is on this underrated Ravens list is because this is a guy who often had to step up for pro bowl caliber player on the offensive side of the ball who was injury prone in Jamal Lewis. And, you know, while Chester Taylor wasn't the flashiest guy or definitely the most physically gifted, I feel like he was pretty effective when he was called upon to be the starting running back. Would you say he is the, like, uh, comparable to maybe, I don't know, like a McGahee or, or, um, well, maybe not McGahee, more like, um, I don't know. Buck Allen had a pretty good year, 2015. After that, I think is you know YPC kind of went a little bit downhill. But for that one year, he was pretty good as a backup running back. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good compare because because uh, Chester Taylor actually did have a couple hundred yard rushing games in relief for Jamal Lewis. I don't I don't know. Did has Buck Allen ever had a hundred yard rushing game in his career? If he did, it probably was in 2015. I think he had a thousand yards that year. I don't think he had a thousand. Yeah, he might have had a hundred yard game though. I, I think he maybe like against Miami or someone. Gotcha. What about well, maybe like a Leron McLean or something? Yeah, I could. I could. I mean, both of those guys are very different uh, runners, different running style. But but yeah, I could. You could. You could say that. Yeah. To be honest, um, this is probably one of those guys. I, I've heard the name before. If you were to ask me some highlights, I think from him or you know, <laughs> hell, even what number he wore, I couldn't tell you without googling it. Um, 29 29 there you go just yeah, 29 yeah yeah i'm gonna reintroduce myself to the podcast hey guys i'm alec um <laughs> how you doing alec <laughs> my commentary was incorrect elvis gerback actually was only of the 2001 season which i thought was true but i was like i thought for some reason that chester uh taylor was a part of that team but it, no he was not nope it turns out uh, the uh, i, I wasn't team. gonna embarrass you further oh so i didn't call you out on that <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so it turns out i was i was incorrect but i i did look it up and it turns out our, our our prolific team of rushers that year were um, like Mo Williams and Jason Brookings was like one of the guys and uh, Obafemi, right? Obafemi, I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was about to say that was a guy who I thought was actually really great back in the day. Um, you know, kind of a, a fullback tweener, right? It was uh, it was a it was a blunder on my end. I apologize. I would like to. Uh, I would like to take a step back and say I'm sorry to the our lovely listeners. <laughs> I made such a such a blunder. You just risked our our trust among the public. That's right. Fake news decries right here. He got a, <laughs> oh my goodness. He ended up going on to have a pretty good year uh, or career in in Minnesota and was there like number one for a bit there. So I mean that's 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 pretty great that he was able to transition from you know kind of a third down back to a full time player. Yeah, in Minnesota he. Uh, he got a chance to be the guy. He got a thousand yard season, and the Vikings rewarded him by uh, drafting Adrian Peterson, one of the most prolific, oh. if not the most prolific, uh, running back of the past decade. And so then he was a backup again. Oh, poor! Guy. But he still did a pretty decent job um, spelling Peterson for a bit there. I'm looking at the list again for 2001. Jason Brookins, remember that guy? He he was a brawler. Yeah, I mean to be honest. Uh, all three of those guys, like I remember the names, but man, I don't remember much about about their playing style or or much else. Because I think all three of them were really on only on the team that year. No, that's not true. Obafemi was on the Super Bowl team. Well, Obafemi, yes, but I, that was the definition of running back by committee. It might have been the first time oh, we yeah, had seen yeah. <laughs> quite a running back by committee. I think I mean, they changed running yeah. back every down. <laughs> <laughs> 
They had to oh, wear man. name tags the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, man. All right, so moving on to the next guy on our list. This guy, I'd be interested to see. Maybe we could do a poll before everyone listens to this next section of the podcast of how many players, how many listeners remember this next player. One listener, well, Alex sent a text when we were doing this uh, preparation for this podcast. He was looking over the notes Chris and I put together, and he texted us a couple days ago, man. He said, it's the first time looking at the list. I got to do some research on some of these players that you put down, and I think <laughs> this guy was the number one guy was, he was talking about. <laughs> it, was, it was exactly what I was talking about. He was... I had to remind myself about Wilcox, but no, this guy was my guy. I ended up putting the article I read about him. Uh, they caught up with him in 2011 because, as Peter went on to say, he actually was a, a very you know, influential player for a couple of years there. Yeah, so Chad Williams, who was a backup safety for the Ravens from 2002 to 2005, is probably one of the best Ravens players that absolutely no one remembers. Like, this guy was an undersized safety, but when he was on the field, he was a bit of a playmaker. Obviously, not to the to the point of an Ed Reed or a Chris McAllister, but, I mean, in 2002 and 2003, you know, the guy finished second in interceptions on the team. I remember in 2004, he had a huge interception return for a touchdown against the Cowboys and then had a... 94-yard interception return against the Buffalo Bills, which is uh, infamous because since he got caught from behind on that play and didn't complete the touchdown, the next play, the Ravens came out and rushed for a touchdown, but uh, J.O. injured his Achilles on that play. So I think J.O. gave him some Mm. crap for that. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, even myself, I think uh, Chad Williams was not one of the names that I... uh, thought of first when I was thinking of the players I wanted to contribute to this list, but I was I was thinking of some more obscure guys we could talk about to make this not be like every other list you've ever read about underrated Ravens. And I mean, Chad Williams' name came up and I think he fits the bill. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's playing behind Ed and Dion at that point. So, I mean, even if you're a really good player, Ed and Dion are Hall of Fame players. So it's kind of hard to... <laughs> To really stand out when you're playing with those guys. In a way, though, that makes his uh, accomplishments as a playmaker a little more impressive if you think about it. Because when he's coming into the game, you know, the quarterback's targeting this guy because, mm-hmm. you know, someone, one of the, the Pro Bowl caliber players is off the field. And yet he's still able to come in there and make the big hits and uh, come up with the picks. Yeah. So that's huge. Dion was only starting for us for two years, I think. So who was the other starter besides Reed? Was it Landry at that point, or was it someone else? Uh, so, gosh, okay, so Gary Baxter was a part of those teams. Okay, I can't remember if he played cornerback or safety. Corey Fuller, I think, was still on the team at that point. So I think the starters were Reed, McAllister, Gary Baxter, and Corey Fuller. Okay. Does that sound right to you, Alec? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. So, yeah, Chad Williams, one of the best forgotten ravens of all time anybody find like highlights of him on youtube or something it's always such a pain in the butt to try and find highlights of some of these older players especially more of the obscure ones i mean you'll find yeah you know nfl network does stuff on you know older players from you know 60s 70s 80s 90s all that stuff but the more obscure ones you can't find them anywhere so i didn't see any highlights of chad williams specifically but i will say i did find someone had posted NFL Primetime's highlight reel of the 2004 game against the Bills. And I did see that on Dion's interception return for a touchdown in that game, it was the interception was off a tipped pass from Chad Williams. Chad go. Williams was blitzing Drew Bledsoe. He tipped the ball up in the air, and it landed in Dion's hands, and he had an easy run into the end zone. There you go. Do you ever wonder if like the NFL has just like a vault of every game that was ever played, just a recording of it, and they just hoard them away. I, I, I've never understood whether like these things actually exist. You know, I know they do now, but you know, for the previous 50 years of games, I, I don't know what happened to all that footage. That's a good question. I actually don't know, but I think the answer might be 
Yes, because if you look at, um, I know I've watched some old uh, NFL films productions, and oh gosh, I think the guy is uh, Steve Sable, who used to narrate a lot of those, and sometimes they would show him walking through a, an old warehouse looking through all these old film canisters. Now, I mean, all that could have just been for show, I don't know, but I'm going to say I think they actually do save at least a decent amount of them it is crazy actually a a few tv shows have only been salvaged by fans it's uh it's more common than you think for tv producers to get rid of things but i think to go to your original point nfl films is pretty judicious about saving everything and anything that they don't have is probably uh more of a mistake than a intentional thing Hmm. on the list next I think we can actually kind of talk about these guys in tandem because they both kind of played the same role. And I'm looking at their time served on the yeah, Ravens. Exactly, they're back to back. They, I mean, so this first guy played from Baltimore from 2006 to 2009, and then the other guy played from 2009 to 2011, and they basically played the same role, which was like mainly nickel cornerback, but also kind of just like plug and play, you know linebacker on like a dime or nickel package, you know, who could blitz the quarterback. So Corey Ivy and Chris Carr. Yeah, I I, I put Corey Ivy on here. Um, I think it was after you put Chris Carr on, Peter. I just wanted to give him a shout out for, for him. You know, he was a part of that number one defense in 2006. I think actually you will find a video of him on YouTube just smashing Ben Roethlisberger, um, flying off from the nickel position. Um, you know, and I, I do remember him having a couple of splash plays. Other than that, I, I couldn't find the video, but I've definitely seen it before. I think it must have been a Peyton Manning video of like the NFL's top 100 players. And I think Ray Lewis was being interviewed to talk about Peyton Manning. And I think Ray had pointed out well, unfortunately, it was a, is a great play by Peyton, but it was also just a really phenomenal play by Corey Ivey. It just just so happens that Peyton was just a little bit better, which, I mean, you know, for <laughs> comparing Corey Ivey and Peyton Manning's careers, you know, clearly, you know, they're not exactly on the same level. But I, I thought it was just kind of cool that Ray uh, gave some huge props to Corey Ivey for making the play. I, I think it was something where Peyton was throwing an out route and Corey had his hand outstretched, like literally the perfect position to knock the ball away. And Peyton puts it like just two inches outside of his hand and it falls into Dallas Clark, bounces into his arms. And it was just so unfortunate, you know, that Corey was just in great position, you know, just Peyton was a little bit better that day. But there were a lot of plays, I think, like that from from Corey. Um, that were just really great. And, you know, he was, you know, like Chris Carr too, you know, these are guys that veteran players came in, primarily played nickel, but they would do what you want. They would cover guys, they blitz, do whatever. Uh, they get the job done most of the time. I just want to add that akin to Alec looking at this list and forgetting who Dan Wilcox was, but just immediately remembering who he was, Corey Ivey falls under that category for me. I, I I read the name that Chris put down, and immediately I remembered who he was, but for whatever reason, that was a guy I'd forgotten. And I have to thank you, Chris, for uh, directing us to this video on YouTube, and listeners should look at it as well, of Corey Ivey just, just smashing Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger fumbles on this play, and uh, who picks it up for the touchdown return? Our good buddy who we talked about earlier, Mr. 96, Adelius Thomas. Thomas. There you go. I am super surprised, though, that uh, I thought of a player that you didn't remember immediately, Peter. Wow, that's like the first time that's e- probably the only time that's ever going to happen. <laughs> hey, man, I, I uh, commend you for that because, I mean, Corey Ivey, he was a raven. He knew how to play hard. He had some big hits. He fit in great with that Ravens team, the Ravens defenses that he was a part of, and definitely not a player who is worthy of Ravens fans forgetting. So for the last segment of the show, we wanted to talk about current players on the team who might be on this list in the future. Start things off, our favorite position of wide receiver. <laughs> so Chris Moore. I don't know I don't know if this guy is ever gonna make the turn. I don't know. But I think 
so far early on in his career, Chris Moore, we're waiting for him to be a more consistent option from the receiver position, but he's a, he's been an excellent special teams player, had a huge play in that game back in 2017 um, to jumpstart a lifeless Ravens offense in a must-win game against Cincinnati uh, with that huge kickoff return and then catching the touchdown after that. Also was part of probably the play that probably lost the game as well and where, I don't know, if Flacco overthrew him or he was expecting more to cut further infield than he did, but it was a pickoff return for a touchdown by Cincinnati. I think Chris Moore has the potential to be a solid number three wide receiver for the Ravens at some point in his career. I don't know if he's going to make that jump, but I could see him in a decade. We look back on him as a solid contributor to the Ravens, who's not quite a star, but will be a guy you remember fondly. Yeah, I don't know. I'm actually going to disagree with this one. Like, usually we all agree with each other as far as deserving on this list. And that's a bad podcast. No. (laughs) Tear my opinion apart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of recency bias, but uh, I feel like Chris Moore really hasn't been all that consistent. I mean, yes, he's had a couple of highlight plays, but for the most part, he really hasn't done much. He's a guy who shows flashes. I'm going to agree with Chris. I don't think he's going to make that corner turn, particularly now that we've got two highly drafted wide receivers in Boykins and Hollywood Brown that I think are going to dominate a lot of playing time at the one and two spots. Right. I mean, Snead's going to be the three. I don't know. I don't see how Moore's going to get enough snaps to really make that breakout. Right. I guess I probably I, – I would have said yes if he had – kind of been our only starting kick and punt returner for a while but I, I know he, he's been in a of uh, sometimes but he we've also split that with um cyrus jones last year um and a couple other players i think we had like on and off with him michael campanero another one i think if he had been our starting returner for a couple years in a row and kind of kept up those kind of highlights i would have said like yeah yeah he probably would have been on there he wouldn't have been a jacoby jones because we all know about the highlight plays and you know all the stuff that jacoby did while he was here but he would have at least been a solid returner but he just hasn't he hasn't played enough i think for that and he's too inconsistent on offense i I wouldn't put him on here i will say i think this is definitely a make or break year for chris moore for the guy for the reasons that you guys mentioned with the increased competition there's a scenario he doesn't make the team honestly um i won't disagree with that i think because of his role on special teams i think he does make the team but i really do think that if he doesn't elevate his play like i think he has the potential to do but i'm not sure he will then it will be his last year as a raven why why don't we get to our next guy because i think we can probably all agree that this guy does deserve to be on here um anthony levine you know, we kind of already talked about it a little bit with, you know, I think he's a little bit of a similar player to Corey Ivy and Chris Carr and that you can really put him anywhere and he's going to make some good plays, especially, I think, with his transition into playing more of that uh, middle linebacker uh, in the dime formation roles. He has excelled, especially the last two or three years in that role. I can't say that I remember a lot from when he was kind of exclusively playing the backup safety position, but he has been a game changer, I think, when bringing him closer to the line in that linebacker role. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I remember, gosh, I'm trying to remember the year when he first came on the scene, but I think around like 2014, 2015, I mean, he was showing a lot of promise in the preseason, but then when the regular season came and he was out, you know, I think the Ravens started him out as more of a cornerback. He got exposed a bit there, and, and you weren't quite sure if he was a guy who was going to stick around too much on the Ravens roster. But yeah, just like you mentioned, Chris, I think it was around 2016, the Ravens started him playing more at inside linebacker and, and safety. And it was there that he's really found his potential and found a, a staying place on the roster. And not to mention his impact on special teams too. Levine and uh, Albert McClellan. Actually, and that's surprising. We actually didn't put Albert McClellan on this list. Um, oh, that's a great player. Man. Great player. 
That's yeah. an oversight on us. Albert McClellan absolutely should be yeah. on this list wow, as yeah. an underrated Raven. Yeah, I mean, he was you know another guy just consistently excellent at special teams. Yeah, I think he did play was he play backup inside linebacker or backup outside linebacker? Maybe he played both. Um, but he would come in for a couple of plays. But he was definitely a you know heavy special teams player. It was just very good. Um, and he went to the Patriots, and I think, and also was very good for them the last year. But uh, but yeah, same same with Levine. He's just been consistently good at special teams, and and now really making an impact on uh, certain package plays and on defense. All right, Alec, who's who's your pick for uh, current Ravens player who could be on the underrated list in a decade? So thanks for asking because I was looking at the roster. I'm going to pick two players real quick that are I think of the caliber of the first round of players we talked about players who I think are strong, who we know as Ravens fans is really great players, but aren't getting the national attention. Those players are going to be Tavon young and peanut. Um, so I think those are two guys I could see on the roster right now as really solid Ravens contributors, but never break into the, the main you know highlight reels. Yeah, I agree with that. I think both, especially Tavon, those guys have made noticeable strides each year and have built upon the improvements they made each year. I'm really uh, interested in seeing what Peanut does this year without Mosley, um, as we talked about in the defensive podcast, because, I mean, you know, Kenny Young, it's only his second year. We all have high hopes for Kenny Young, but still, Peanut's the, the vet of the inside linebackers right now so it'll be fun to see how he responds to that this season i'll also add and i'm sorry chris if i sniped you uh to sean elliott as another one of the guys that i think might be on the list oh i think to sean elliott is uh i think of hype trains building up for him <laughs> you're absolutely right alec and i are on that train <laughs> hey man i got a ticket too you got me on the train chris i'll be honest I feel like I haven't even really talked about him that much, but yeah, I don't know from what I've seen from uh, preseason and stuff, and I, I think he's I think he's gonna be a good player. Hopefully, the the at least the floor for him is underrated Raven. <laughs> if he gets above that, that's awesome. But Deshaun Elliott is currently the front runner for there you go. the successor to See? the Chad Williams anonymous underrated Raven award. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm looking through the the roster here too. Actually, Elliot would not have been my first choice, so I guess I'm glad <laughs> you already talked about him, Alec. I would almost say so, and this is probably a little controversial. I don't know if it's as controversial as say Mark Clayton. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. One, I think maybe James Hurst. It's slightly. Because of, I mean, of course, uh, he gets completely destroyed. Twenty fifteen backs into Joe Flacco. Uh, Joe's out for the season, which pretty much directs the next three or four years of of the Ravens' trajectory at that point. And Joe is really not the same player as he used to be. But after that, he's actually been a pretty solid contributor. I think the Ravens finally realize not to play him at tackle if they can help it. He's been a definitely a better player at guard. Uh, and he's moved around a lot, and the Ravens have applauded that, you know, given him a contract extension for a couple more years to keep him around as sort of a backup lineman that can plug in different places. You know, he's not the same level of player as a Mike Flynn or a Motalo, but he's pretty versatile, and, you know, he's had a couple of splash plays, so, I, you know, I, I think that is probably worthy uh, of being on the list. Well, I mean, we'll definitely see... I think he's signed on for another two or three years. So, you know, uh, he might be here for a little bit longer. We'll see. That was my first guy. I guess the second guy, I'm not sure. I kind of want to give some love to the to the other D lineman. I'm not sure which one. I would either say, for a guy who's been here a little while already, I'd say Brandon Williams. But if you want me to pick sort of a younger guy, I'd go Willie Henry. I actually, I was looking at Willie Henry. He didn't make my cut. Um, just because I, I named quite uh, you know, three players, but he was probably my fourth player. Yeah. So that's a good pick. I mean, they've been, you know, both of those guys have been pretty 
good contributors, at least for so far. Willie Henry, not so much. At least, you know, he got injured last year. But he showed some real promise, I think, the year before for a couple of games stretch, I think. So it wasn't sort of just like a one-game thing. It was it was for a couple of games. He, he was actually doing pretty well. So I'm definitely excited to see what he can do this year. And at the very least, I think he can make this list in a couple of years. What about you, Peter? What do you think? Anybody else that uh, you want to talk about that we haven't covered? I mean, my guy was going to be Deshaun Elliott, but you guys already talked to him. But I mean, sticking with the safety position, I'm interested to see what Chuck Clark can do. He hasn't been flashy his first couple years with the Ravens, but you know he's been solid when he's uh, when he's been called upon. He's shown some plays in the preseason that make it look like you know there's some room for growth. And I mean, there you go. he picked off Pat Mahomes last year. I mean, that's an accomplishment right there. So I don't know if the guy will ever be more than a really dependable backup, but I'm interested to see what his ceiling can be with the Ravens. Right. Yeah, actually, I I was pretty high on him, I think, probably a year or two ago. But yeah, like you said, I think we might have already seen his ceiling. I think his floor is pretty good. Decent special teams player, decent backup I was just kind of thinking maybe Elliot probably has a little bit more potential, I think maybe based on what we've seen. So I would, I, I could definitely see that. I would agree with that. Peter, do you want to finish off with your, uh, your favorite boy? My favorite boy? He's on the list. He is on the list, man. Uh, I think that Nick Boyle is another guy there who I think is someone who, since he's not a receiving threat, really, and still, apparently, I was surprised when I, when, uh, you know, his touchdown was called back and uh, Flacco is making fun of it, you know, in the week one against the Bills because apparently <laughs> Nick Boyle has never caught a touchdown in the NFL. But, you know, we've talked about this guy before on the podcast and the Ravens gave him the contract they did for a reason. He's a very strong blocker for this rushing attack that they do, though he's not thrown the ball a ton he usually catches it and can get positive chunky yards when his number is called he's never going to be a pro bowl talent he's never going to be someone whose jersey ravens fans are flocking to get so i think uh in a decade you could look back and see nick boyle fall under this second tier of players that we talked about earlier in the podcast yeah i think this is a great take actually i mean you said it best peter the only thing I want to add on to this is that 10 years from now, we look back at sort of the players and we're thinking, you know, okay, who are the underrated guys? I think you would definitely flock to someone like a Nick Boyle who may not have been the most talented, but was consistently good at what he needed to do over someone like a, let's say like Crockett Gilmore, who's another sort of tight end. I think was drafted. Was it, was it the same year as Boyle or was it a year before? I don't remember exactly. Boyle was drafted the same year of Max Williams. I think Crockett Gilmore was drafted the year before both them. Yeah, Crockett was, I think, one of those players where he had that one game against Oakland. It just completely blew up. Everyone thought that he was going to be the next Gronk and just didn't do anything. He put on a lot of weight, got some injuries, then wanted to like transition to offensive tackle, and I don't think anybody's picked him up. So you would definitely want to go toward... Nick Boyle. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the last we've heard of of Crockett right. was that he was going to make that yeah. position change, yeah. and then that's yeah. I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot. You know, unfortunately, when, <laughs> as we yeah. get into more training camp and preseason, or we try to talk about the players, like oh, who's who's actually legit and which ones are hype. You know, uh, Crockett was definitely one of those players who we were probably all excited about back then, but it was just hype. <laughs> yeah, not for Boyle. Yeah, he didn't sustain that. He didn't sustain it. Well, guys, I think it was a great conversation about some underrated Ravens. It was great going down memory lane with y'all and thinking about you know these players. It's been cool to kind of go back in time. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the one of the most fun episodes we've done. I think it's fun to be nostalgic and and think back on you know these great memories of those great Ravens teams. And uh, those of you listening, I think probably pretty enjoyed that because. The Ravens team, I mean, not many people care about the Ravens outside of Baltimore. So, like, since the team itself is already underrated, it's also fun to just talk about who these guys are that 
the fan base is really passionate about that no other NFL fans are. I don't know. I think that's just something that all Ravens fans can really agree on. Absolutely. So next episode, we're going to talk about Ravens rivalries. Everyone thinks about, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, all those primetime games, maybe New England in the playoffs, but maybe we'll go a little deeper and talk about some of the older rivalries back when the divisions were all different, you know, before the expansion was complete. Tennessee Titans, for instance. Tennessee Titans, Jacksonville Jaguars a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Jacksonville, I was going to say that too. Yep. Man, going real old school with these. That should be fun. It'll be our last podcast before the, man, before the preseason starts. We already got, we're almost three weeks away from the first preseason game, if you can believe it. I noticed that the other day when I was looking at the schedule and I got really excited because it's almost football time, baby. Let's go. It's coming close. Oh, man. Oh, it is such a good news. I don't know about you guys, but the fantasy football podcasts are on the ascendancy. I'm starting to adjust my ranks. Oh, man. I'm hyped. Hey, man. <laughs> I've, I've, I've already, you know, I got a huge, huge strategy in place for, uh, you know, my revenge from our league last year. <laughs> <laughs> Winning the Constellation Bracket is just the beginning.